I was going to mention that phrase you just did, you can't steer a parked car. And what I would say is some of the partnerships I tried in the early days, these cars were in reverse <laughs> and they had fires. And you were running down with the winch to save them and, uh, you yeah, know. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I was there, I, I had my overalls on, you know, I had oil all over the place <laughs> and it was not pretty. This is James Shramko. James Shramko here. Welcome back to my podcast today. We're chatting with Tim Tavender. Hello, Tim. Hello, James. How are you? Good. Great to have you on the show. You're a member of my community. and uh, Absolutely. We've been sort of hanging around each other lately. I've joined into a couple of your pod calls. Also, you think you meet with fellow Europeans in, in a meetup, and I tend to check out those groups. I pop in and say hi when I can and see if I can add a few tips. You've been a great contributor to my community, but one thing that I've really noticed is you're particularly good at implementing the revenue share model. Yeah. And I thought it'd be great to talk about that for the benefit of our listeners to see if that might be something they would consider. And I think to introduce the topic, firstly, we might just talk about what is a revenue share deal, and then we'll work backwards to how you ended up doing a couple of those deals. So how do you view the revenue share deal, or as I also sometimes call it, a royalty deal? Yeah. So... I mean, if I rewind quite a bit, I've always been interested in that kind of idea that you can work with someone as a partner and you share in the success you have together. And previously, I didn't even know, like going back some years, I didn't even know there was a thing that it was called by revenue share deals. So more recently, and obviously I, I took your course, it's my introduction to the whole membership was taking the revenue share course. And you know, you suddenly sort of see there's actually a structure to this. <laughs> and previously, you know, people like me making up as you go along, thinking that this is, oh, yeah, this is a new model I've created and it's been there all along. <laughs> but essentially it is, for me, it's turning what is a client relationship into a partnership. So, you know, I've come through in the digital marketing world, I've come through agency to begin with. You know, you're working in the classic retainer model. So, you know, the client pays you every month at a certain date, you then have a certain amount of time that's allocated to that client and they get, I mean, certainly the agency I was at, they get that time to the minute and not a second more, not a second less. And it's okay. It works well for a lot of people, but I felt there was sort of room beyond the retainer. And obviously the revenue share helps with that because you take a percentage of the success that you both have together. Great. And that for me is a classic win-win. So in sort of technical terms, the way the mine is set out, and I'm sure this is probably similar, is I see where someone's at. Sometimes they're a startup. It's rare, but I've done it a few times. Often they're already in motion. And I say to them, listen, you've gotten to the point that you've got to all by yourself, well done. If we work together and can grow up past that, would you give me, say, 10 cents in the dollar? Right. And you keep 90 cents and I keep 10 cents. Sure. So that's a simple way to look at it. I would get 10% of the amount of revenue, net of refunds or chargebacks or whatever else. Hopefully that's not happening too much <laughs> over the starting point. Yeah. And so there's a lot of criteria that you have to have in place for these to work. Yeah. Obviously the big difference between a revenue share deal and a retainer is risk. <laughs> if you do retain a business, the risk is all on the customer because they're paying the money and then you're going to do work. And as you said, sometimes they get it down to the minute. And I think sometimes people are buying the wrong thing. Yeah. I don't really want to buy time from a contractor. I would rather just pay for a result. <laughs> so yeah. you know, that's one thing to consider. 
in terms of the risk of a revenue share deal, the big risk to you as the supplier is that you can't get them a result or they can't implement to get a result. So it may not be that you don't have good ideas or that your information isn't good. It might be that they have execution issues. So I actually created an entire playbook just on filtering the best revenue share partners. Now, I'll just throw this out there. If you're listening to this podcast episode 1012, then we're going to put a link at jamesramco.com where you see episode 1012. I'm going to give away that revenue share training, the original revenue share training that uh, Tim went through that caused him to become a member because it's quite a good fundamental training. I've built on top of that now inside my membership. That's the newer version, which you won't get, but you'll get the original revenue share training as a good starting point. So if you're interested in that, that's a nice little freebie from this episode. So Tim, you were doing retainers and then you started dialing in performance-based deals where you get a percentage of revenue, right? Absolutely, yeah. So we sort of go back 10 years ago, Actually, 12 years ago, crikey, um, I'd left the agency I was working at after a reasonably short time working there and felt that, you know, I could do this on my own sort of thing. And I was doing the classic retainer. I was doing Google Ads retainers and SEO retainers. And that was okay, but it was a ceiling to it. It was my time for money. And I had a few opportunities to work with people that, frankly, at the time, they didn't have the money to invest and that should have been a red flag and if you if you then if you're sitting there thinking about revenue share then just download the training James offered you because it's absolute gold because I was sort of trying to work it out at the time myself and I was one of the problems I had with that in the early days was actually selection of partners we all do <laughs> we all do exactly, I made, yeah. made plenty of mistakes so I actually tried performance based deals way back you know 2000 and seven and 2008 yeah i was doing yeah. classic 50 50s yeah. which mostly suck and they weren't successful there were so many things wrong with that approach and i didn't know enough about it but my re- rebirth into revenue share deals probably eight or nine years ago but in that time still i feel like i've taken on about 15 deals uh-huh. and i've currently got eight yeah so over eight or nine years i've learned half a dozen times about things that are going to make a deal not be ideal for you. My main cost, of course, is just wasted opportunity or wasted energy. But the ones I've got now are like the jewels in the crown. So they're awesome. But it's really normal to make mistakes. And you described the classic one. Of course, people who have no money (laughs) are only (laughs) able to work with someone who can lift them up and they'd be happy to pay you a percentage of something they don't have now. But of course, the challenge is the reason they don't have the money is often going to have an overlaying effect in terms of their readiness to be able to make money. They might be lacking something in the mindset. They might be lacking the infrastructure to support selling more products. Basically, they're a parked car. And I've often said, you can't steer a parked car. You don't even know if it's got an engine, which is why most of my deals are businesses that are already in motion. And I do say in that training, uh, something that's that's a really counterintuitive thing. The clients you really, really want are the ones who probably don't want you because they're pretty confident in their product. They know they can grow and they're prepared to invest in themselves via a retainer. And of course, the benefit for them with a retainer is that it's a capped amount no matter how successful they are. But if you're really, really good at what you do and you're able to get people amazing results, it would be better if you're on a performance deal because the upside 
is that you can get paid a lot more than a retainer. And that's been true for me. Yeah. My revenue share deals are substantially more lucrative than my retainers or my standard coaching clients, but I'm also doing more for them. And, and we'll talk about that, the relationship that you have versus a retainer, because I'm curious if it's been different for you as it has been for me. Totally. And you know, I was going to mention that phrase you just did, you can't steer a parked car. And what I would say is some of the partnerships I tried in the early days, these cars were in reverse <laughs> and they had fires. I mean, and you were running down with the winch to save them, and uh, you know, I, I, yeah. I was there. I, I had my overalls on, you know, I had oil all over the place, <laughs> and it was not pretty. And so, you know, like you say, waste a lot of time. But then, in doing that, I did learn who not to take on. So, one of the things that you learn quite quickly after those experiences is how to identify the right partners. And I, I was kind of going through that process, discovering myself. It took a long time, but actually. When I did your training, James, one of the things that I was able to do is actually zone right in. And I remember writing a, an Evernote doc all about like literally listing, here's my ideal client, here's who I want to work with, here's who I want to go after as a customer. And having that has been brilliant for me because you were looking before about the difference between retainer and a revenue share deal. Shall I tell you a story about when I was in surgery last year? Yeah, I mean, if you're willing to share that, I think it's significant because it's a human thing and it happens a lot. And this is where I see traditional business models are difficult for mm. these micro businesses. We are essentially like, and according yeah. to the government yeah. here, unless you're doing 20 or $30 million a year, you're a small business, but we're micro oh, yeah. businesses, yeah. right? Yeah. Let's talk about what happened and how the performance-based deals worked for you. So last March, I had to have a surgery. And it was a pretty significant surgery. And um, what I decided was, and you might think I'm absolutely mad for this, was I had a partner I'd been working with. We were getting their, their product ready for launch. And this guy's a doctor in America. His clients are other doctors. And what I decided to do was launch on the day of the surgery. So I set up these emails to go out. And really, it was just a, a way for me to prove that you can be time-free, and location-free in a way that only revenue share, in my view, can do. And so I went in for my surgery super early on that on the Monday. It was a 14-hour surgery, so it was a very long, significant surgery. When I woke up from the surgery, what I'd realized was that we'd done a launch big enough to pay me more than all the surgeons that had worked on me that day. Wow. So my slice of that, excuse the pun, was more than what all the surgeons were earning. And I thought to myself, wow, that, that just sort of reinforces to me how powerful this model can be because I am out for the count. You know, I was asleep for all that time. And that said to me, well, you know, this model is where my future lies. And what I got excited about after that was, well, actually, you know, for those people that made me think about buying businesses, for example, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to go into that market, that market. You could try it out with the revenue share model. You know, you could think to yourself, well, there's a particularly interesting business niche out there at the moment I want to go into. Well, the reverse revenue share works really well for that. Well, that's true. Yeah. And so the reverse revenue share deal, we should explain, is where you hold and control the asset and then you bring in an expert ah. and you pay them a percentage of revenue. It's a smallish percentage and it could be a, a quarter or a third of the revenue because they're the expert, the face. Yeah. I like the third, 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 which is I pay the expert a third I pay the business a third and I pay myself a third. Mm. 
and the business can basically most of the types of businesses we're running these days information-based businesses could be run at a really high profit margin yeah so the reverse revenue share deal is something you would consider if you it's kind of a quasi business isn't it if you want a business but without all the things that are going to hold you into it like having to do the content or the service delivery of the product that, that you're selling yeah absolutely for me, you know, I thought, well, maybe, maybe that could be another avenue in my business could be affiliate, but this works better because you have more control. And so I had the idea that I, I wanted to go into sort of the, the menopause health and fitness niche. And I knew somebody had a big list and we're, we're working on that at the moment is to bring that to life. We did a bit of a soft launch, worked really well, but I, I'm not the expert. What I'm expert in is putting the whole thing together and Jess, who I work with is the expert. And it's really exciting because you think, well, you can diversify if you want, as long as for me, as long as I stick to those client parameters still of who I want to work with and coming back to the phrase all the time, James, which I only heard from you recently was you can't steer the parked car. (laughs) So where's the momentum? Who's got the ability to be able to go to market with this right now? And like you say, sometimes it's companies that they already going really well. And if you go to them and say, look, I've recognized, I got an email from you the other day. I think I can help you, but you're not asking them for any money. So for them, it's like, well, it's just another control. It's just another a test, marketing test. And if it works well, then you can go into a more formal revenue share agreement if you like. Well, I think that's a good point there. Um, we should clarify what's the difference between affiliate marketing. Yeah. Affiliate marketing, of course, is how I started out. And that was good because you're a salesperson. You get paid a commission for promoting someone's product. Ideally, you're joining a buyer and a seller, making that introduction, getting paid a cut. The big difference between a performance-based deal, a revenue share deal, is you can get a cut of all the revenue, including all the affiliates. So it's like an overrider. So one big difference for the partner is instead of you not sharing your secrets with affiliates and just trying to do all the marketing yourself, Now, if you get paid an overrider on everybody's sales, then you're going to help the affiliates. You're going to find affiliates. You're going to share it loud and wide because you want it to be successful. So it's generally a lower percentage than you would get as an affiliate. But I will say one of the filters that I'm pretty clear on for myself is I want to promote something as an affiliate first to see if my customers buy this thing. That's a test for me because I really only want to become a partner in business units that my clients need and want and that are good for them. So affiliate is one test for me. If my clients don't buy the thing, I don't want to go in there and just do strategic help or whatever or develop new markets. Like for, right. for example, one where it didn't quite work out the way I was hoping was where the product really was a good fit for uh, in the mind of the partner, not necessarily in my mind, but in their mind, they really wanted huge enterprise companies and I don't deal with huge enterprise companies. And they would have known that. They didn't share that with me until we were a fair way down the track into the deal. Right. But had I known that earlier, I'd say, you know what, I don't think, because my clients were buying the product, but they were aiming their sights on a different market. Mm. So it's very important to synchronize these filters. So once you build your filters and you get them right, then you can stack them on. And I like what you said. You effectively can go into business in a business without having to do all the stuff. Yeah. So with my partnerships, I'm pretty much in eight different businesses plus my own business. So I'm, in, yeah. I'm doing nine businesses 
But in my own business, I do the hiring and the training and the accounting and all of that stuff. But in my partner's businesses, they do the hiring, they do the product fulfillment, they do all the reporting. So they're doing all the stuff just like I'm an affiliate. I'm doing this strategic advisory, I'm hosting them on my podcasts, I'm doing emails to promote their things, I'm helping them with best practice, et cetera, they share my membership playbooks with them and drive success for all of us. And it's a fruitful situation. Yeah. So, so far, just to recap, performance deals have a much bigger upside, but potentially a, a more of a downside if you can't get the result or they can't implement. But if they can, you could get paid a lot more than a retainer. The kind of people who you want on would also consider doing a retainer often because they're confident in their product and they have funds to invest in themselves. But the performance deal means you can go deeper. Yeah. Now, what I have found is I'm connecting with my partners really deep. The longest ones, I think, are around nine years old now, eight or nine years old. And we've become really close. And it's like they actually treat me like a business partner. We make decisions together about the naming of the business or what market we want to go in, how big do we want to grow it, what's our exit strategy. Like a business, but they have the big end of the stick. I remember Evan Pagan talked about this. Give the other person the big end of the stick and you take the little end of the stick, which is why 50-50 deals often don't work out because you've each got a similar size stick and it's only half as good. You know, let them win. Let them have a great situation and it's sustainable. And that's it. I mean, when you, I think it was a podcast quite a few years ago now, I was listening to maybe three, four years ago. And you talked about a conversation with Jay Abraham, I think, where he'd said that if he'd have taken revenue share instead of fees, yeah, his wealth would have been many times, many times over. And that really, that spoke to me that, you know, the impact that you can have as an expert in your field can last for years. You know, one thing that you do today can last for many years. So having that relationship that goes on and on and on makes a lot of sense. It's leverage. Yeah, exactly that. The single question that I asked Jay Abraham is one of the most profitable questions I've ever asked in my life. Because I did say to him in a private call, what advice would you have to your old self? He said, I would have done more RevShare deals. Those $25,000 workshop attendees, they could have been 250,000 or two and a half million dollar clients. And it really hit home with me. And that's when I started doing it, eight or nine years ago now, and adding them in. They now represent half my income. So just over half a dozen people pay half my income. Yeah which is profound leverage when you think about it. And it also addresses the other thing. I saw in a a post today, actually, in a popular copywriting forum, people were saying, oh, you know, it's a good good time to set up a low ticket recurring subscription membership. And they're like, I used to have one of these. And a lot of people are are like, I had one of those. And I had, a lot of people did have one or tried it, but they didn't succeed. And the reason is they were good at writing copy and good at marketing, but they weren't good at product If you have a recurring subscription, anything, whether it's a performance-based deal or a membership or even a service on a retainer, you have to deliver. So one of the things you want to put in your filter for revenue share deals is to make sure that you can have sustained value for your partner over the long haul. But in the instance where there isn't, and this is the thing that came up in my conversation with Jay Abraham, and we'll link to the episode in our show notes, is he didn't have a provision for them exiting. What used to happen is they'd start resenting him and then slow paying him and then he'd have the conversation saying, look, okay, I guess it's going to over here. Why don't you cut me a check? And he'd make up a number or something like that. 
that. In mine, it actually has a provision from day one for the partner to exit. If they want out, yeah. they can buy it out. Yeah. And I think that's a really healthy thing to have. And it's good to have a solid written agreement. So all of these things I talk about in that training. And to date, it's been as solid as a rock. I've actually had a couple where I've said, let's finish this. It's not working for me. Yeah. I've had a couple where they've paid out money to exit, which was perfect. It's I've literally sold a part of my business. I've sold a, a chunk of my portfolio. Yeah. And then the rest of them are still there and, you know, happily ticking yeah. along. And, and it's a brilliant business model. But what I do love is that you've come into my vortex. You've consumed the information. You've been interactive in the community asking questions. You've taken up pods. You've gone to meetups that are virtual. Mm-hmm. And you're spreading the love too. I just love how generous you are with the other members when they're having challenges. And that's what it's all about for community. And it's good to be able to acknowledge that. And you've already shared a lot of your key takeaways, switching from retainer to performance. Mm-hmm. It showed you that you have leverage, yeah. that you can build a business that's not linked to time. And I think that's the single biggest discovery. When you realize that time doesn't equal money, yeah. when you can de-link that, that is when it's like, whoa, yeah. wow. You know? yeah. So like, I think we've stumbled over a gold mine. Yeah. This business model is incredible, but it has to be done right. It's a volatile business model. And also uh, something that I'm curious about for you, you came from an agency. Did you have an appetite for risk in your past? Have you ever done commission sales or something? Um, not really. I, I mean, actually, the only time I've done that is I did a door-to-door sales job in uh, in Australia when I was travelling there years ago. <laughs> but um, it was that was a funny experience. But um, no, I mean, I, I I worked for the agency for a year and a half, and that is uh, I, I've only worked for a employer for probably three and a half years out of nearly thirty. So basically, you've been in charge of your own destiny the whole time. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And and I think that. Lots of people who have that entrepreneurial kind of spirit that want to do their own thing will that will resonate with them. But um, it was really the the like like you're saying, you know, you you with the whole mo- this model. And some people might be out there thinking, well, I have this skill set or I have that skill set. How does it fit in? And really, if you've got some knowledge that you can share with a client that you currently share on retainer model or, or whatever model it is, consultancy fees, whatever, you can build in that into your into your business. The hook that I had in my mind was um, you just need a, a single line of text in your proposals. You know, if you have a proposal sending out to a client at the moment that's for a SEO retainer, for want of a better idea, that's X amount of dollars per month, or have a line in there that says, you know, we charge 10% success fee or 5% success fee or whatever. Because then that changes the psychology, changes the arrangement of your client and provider arrangement. And you can do hybrid deals. Yeah. In fairness, when I was researching my agreement, I got access to several different people's revenue share or royalty models. I mean, it's been a common thing in the copywriting industry, right? To get paid a percentage of sales from a copy that they write. One of the people whose contracts I looked at did a uh, retainer plus performance. The challenge he was having is that the client really started resenting the retainer. Yeah. So most of all, all of my deals are just performance. Yeah, It's like, I'm much happier with that risk. I can back my own results. And when I look at it, you know, since March, 1995, I was pretty much on a commission basis. Mm. I had a small salary, but 
my livelihood, and I was only uh, 24. When I was 24 years old, every single month, I start from scratch. Yeah. And I had yeah. to build, you know, on commission component through selling vehicles and then sales management right through until I got to the role of general sales manager where I got a flat salary, which was unheard of. But yeah. boy, did I have to perform. I was like, if I didn't perform, I was out. So yeah. I had this really crazy scenario of a massive salary, but it was very, very performance based. I had, you know, there was constantly shoving spreadsheets down our face and it was like perform or, or go. At any moment. Yeah, yeah. I actually went to work for the whole of, from the middle of 2007 to when I quit and the middle of 2008, every single day, I was wondering if I would get the sack <laughs> because wow. I was on such a high salary yeah. because there was a subprime loan fiasco happening in the United States yeah. and there was doom and gloom clouds coming, a recession. And because I had pretty much made myself redundant. Everyone had systems. They were doing what they were supposed to do. It was working smoothly. It was like they didn't really need me. And after I left of my own will, okay. the business sold to someone else. And I think he probably did okay out of it because of all the systems we built over the last four and a half years prior to me leaving. Yeah. And a lot of yeah. the people I installed are still there now. Can you believe that? That's, it's like that's amazing. 15 years later, some of the key managers are still in the same roles. You know, so there were good people installed into the right roles. But back to the point, you're right. If you do already do retainers, consider if you feel like your client is going on a growth spurt nah. and perhaps they don't even know how big they're going to get. It's like if you spot a puppy dog with huge feet and you know it's going to turn into a big dog. <laughs> <laughs> Try and get in at that point because you can ride that growth curve and they'll love you for it and you'll love the journey. Yeah. It's definitely one of the filters. Don't do a performance deal if you don't think the client's going to grow or if they can't grow for, what, for an, any host of reasons. That would be critical. Also, you have to do things like reputation checks. If you're going to hook yourself up onto someone's caravan, Barrett. you need to make sure that, that it's in good order yeah. and it's not going to cause you an issue. But at least you have the option. Someone might be thinking, well, what if I don't want to be in the deal anymore? You can just give notice yeah. and exit. Yeah. You don't, there's no issue there. You can just detach. And all of that, to be honest, all of that is in your course. Yes. The one that introduced me to the membership. And it helped me definitely solidify and, and think about things I hadn't ever thought about, which was like the exit. You know, if the person sells the business or if they want to retire or, you know. Or if they want to take your intel and set up a sister business and not pay you on that. Yeah. That would suck. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so that, and that was, it, it was great because it then, each of these things helped me to really refine more into who my perfect partner was. I'd say they're the gotchas, right? It's like, what are all the gotchas that can catch these deals out? Yeah. And I found them. I've also taught this to many people. And a lot of my private students and my coaching students have implemented RevShare deals as part of their model mix. You don't have to go all in and just do this. Uh, this would be a, something, even for me, it's half my business. Uh, and the other half is just traditional recurring subscriptions, right? Yeah. So people can choose what risk profile, but also I get to choose who I want to work with. On the, well, I'm, not, I'm not even really trying to grow a lot more partners. I'd rather just keep developing the ones I've got into superstar status. Yeah. And you know what? The other thing is, is you tend to then care more about that client's success, don't you? But when I'm working at the moment, I, I was hired to do something else within their business, I'm not, not on a revenue share model. But while I was looking around 
working on what I was supposed to be working on. I noticed something in their business where it was their abandonment rate on their cart, for example, huge. So the question is, what are you doing about that? And they're like, nothing. So then the then the next question is, well, would you like me to look at that on a revenue share basis? Because I know that I can take their huge abandonment rate through a series of emails down and I can take a percentage of that found money. I know I can too. I, <laughs> yeah. Funny story. I just rewrote my abandonment sequence and as part of the standard operating procedure, my team double checks it between each other and when they're finally finished and they think it's good to go, they send me a broadcast of it so I can check it Damn. and they send me the subject lines. So I searched the subject line for my email and up popped the email, except it wasn't from me. It was from another coach in my industry who'd pretty much ripped <laughs> my card abandonment <laughs> email word. almost word for word. I'm like, unbelievable. It's like cheeky. Yeah. But my card abandonment series, it generally adds 30% more sales. So I imagine you do really well on a revenue share deal just for doing card abandonment emails yeah. or just for doing sales emails. I know you you tend to specialize in email stuff. I'm going to mention your website too, Tim, timtavender.com. Yeah. It's T-A-V-E-N-D-E-R.com. If someone's thinking, oh, I might need some help with my emails, <laughs> uh, maybe they can take you on and, uh, and you'll take all the risk and then you just help them grow their business. Well, there you go. And, and that's why, so I repositioned my business for email. And the reason why I did that is because my client avatar showed me that actually a lot of the people that I want to work with already have a decent email list and they're just not making the most out of it. And then that once they have a, a big following, but they're not really doing anything with it. And you'd be surprised how many businesses out there have customer lists, not just leads, but lists of customers they've acquired over many years who aren't emailing them. Oh, I'm not surprised because I have a client and uh, he was telling me they do four things in their business and we were working out which things he should stop doing. <laughs> One was they were doing website development, uh-huh. they were doing website design, they are doing traffic and they were doing uh, email writing and stuff. Uh-huh. And I said, well, let's rank them in order of which opportunities are the best for you to focus on. I said, email, traffic, design, web dev. So it's a, and he's like, what? Email? Number one. I said, oh my God, yes. <laughs> I told him the story yeah. of my local surf shop who never, ever emailed anyone who ever bought a surfboard from him. And the surfboards were like $1,200 each. And when finally they put the rent up to the point where he couldn't stay anymore, he had a closing sale. And then he said to me, okay, okay, help me. Help me send an email. Yeah. And I extracted the database from his shopping cart. Yeah. We ran a Facebook ad and a GeoPixel to his customers and lookalikes. Yeah. And then we sent an email saying, it was something along the lines of, listen, it's our final weekend. If you've ever dreamed of having one of our boards or you just wanted to come and put one under the arm or have a coffee and, and tell a yarn to us, please pop by. Bam. We sold every board in that shop in two days. Wowzers. I mean, yeah. And he said, oh, I wish I'd spoken to you earlier about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he'd probably still be there. And, you know, this is the crazy thing. I actually took Dean Jackson into his shop once for coffee. And Dean himself, the master, the guy who invented the name squeeze yeah. or the, the opt-in form. I, I know John Mizell also did it, so I don't want to dis... They, they both independently invented the opt-in, right? Um, but Dean said, come on, these people have bought from you and they want to hear from you. It, it'd be rude not to be in touch with them. Yeah, He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. I just don't want to hassle them. 
Well, and, and this this is a filter that I've recently added, actually. What is someone's attitude to emailing their list? Because if they, because uh, I had a partner who we're doing really, really well with, but won't let me send more than like, uh, particularly on a launch, he won't let me send more than around four emails, like one a day. And I'm saying, so I'm showing him the data and I'm saying, look, on the last day of the launch that we do, we send four emails. And if, and if we've sent four emails on the last day, you make more money. If you just send one in the morning and leave it, then you lose out because we close the cart at the end of the day. We're very honorable about that. We don't, you know, let it open for a few days longer. And, and they're like, no, I don't, I don't want to annoy my, my list. I feel like you've asked me this one once. Yeah, maybe I did in that forum, yeah. You told me you had a client who didn't want you to, they've done all this work and they wouldn't let you email it. And I yeah, to- I did. told you what to say to them. Yeah. And I think you went away and said it and it worked. Yeah, no, it did. So, so this particular partner, they, they let me. So we, we, what we did was we came up with a compromise on it, that we would send emails to those who had opened previous emails that week. So I was allowed to send emails on the last day to those people rather than none at all, which would have been a disaster. Oh, that's good. Because I could show them the data from the previous launches that actually most of the sales are coming in the last part of the last day. So your filter is people who are happy to let you do what you need to do. Exactly that. Yeah, yeah exactly that. That They're not worried. Like You can see how critical that is. Mm. The leverage, the compound effect of that in the future on new deals that you do would be huge. Mm. Yeah, it's it's like my frustration. Some of the deals that didn't work, I gave them great ideas. I showed them exactly what to do, but they didn't have a team to implement, so it didn't get done, no. and we couldn't grow. Right. So for me, one of the filters is: do they have a small team or yeah. a resource to be able to buy contractors to implement the things we talk about? And if they don't, then that that doesn't work. Uh. So one way I could approach this is I could build a bigger team myself and then deploy that team. So that's an option for you. It really comes out of what do you actually provide. I tend to provide strategic advice, access to my audience, podcast, platform, emails, and connections. I can get people on podcasts and I can hook them up with the right contacts. So that's the main thing I provide. I'm not providing labor or services often, but sometimes we do. Of course we tinker around with our partner's sites or we help them out with an edit here or there. If they can't, we just, I'll just do it because I want them to succeed. That's why it changes the nature of the relationship. Sounds like you're helping people by writing great emails and identifying growth opportunities within their database. Yeah. And also recognizing that maybe maybe a, a particular expert they ri- say they've written a book and they've got a following and they've got all these customers from the book well can we change that book into a video course for example suddenly there's a new opportunity we can leverage that and you know it does emanate from email everything comes down to that and you know there's there's one thing i kind of to wrap it up really there was there was a thing that i keep going back to in my mind where i was in a meeting when i was doing retain work i was in a meeting with a client and he was sat there across the other side of the desk. And every few minutes, literally few minutes, there'd be a ping on his phone. Ping, ping. And I'd be sitting there going, what's all this? So in the end, I asked him, I said, what? what's going on? And he said, um, well, that's PayPal. And I said, oh, PayPal. He said, yeah, yeah, those are sales coming in. And I'm sat there as a retained person. And he sat, he could have been anywhere. He could have been on holiday, you know, and, and he was ping, ping. And, and I said to myself, wow, I need to be on the other side of the desk. <laughs> <laughs> I need to start that side, but actually this model gives me opportunity to be sort of over with him, sat next to him. Well, it's, it's, it's ping. So whatever you do, whatever, wherever the value is, you know, your value is in you've got this big following, you've, you've got this expertise that you can share with people. 
Yeah. So my expertise is I've, I've got an audience. Yeah. So you've got an audience where your value lies isn't necessarily in tweaking things and making edits and stuff like that. Well, definitely, you know, funnily enough, yeah. this is crazy. <laughs> I do rewrite people's emails all the time. <laughs> I, I redo yeah. their presentations. I review them. It's, it's part of what I do, especially in the mentor level of the membership, people share Google Docs with me. Yeah. And I've actually been able to out-convert the email copywriters. I probably couldn't out-convert you though, Tim. Wow. But a lot of them are using generic stuff, but I changed what they're sending. i remove words. I help them with presentations and stuff, but I enjoy that. I, I don't want to create the thing. No. So I'm different in that way, but I like to review, like show me what you've got, show me what you're doing. And then I come up with the creative ideas. Yeah. And that's the whole story about knowing which screw to turn, right? You know, it's that expertise, experience, knowledge, where you can make that small tweak and that small tweak that you make could result in however many more sales or any sales at all. And that means that you, because they're a partner, get paid for that. So you're not, you're not on a flat, whatever it is, $1,000 a month, whatever it is, you know. And then so, yeah, I think for me, you know, it's definitely changed how I do business. It's changed how I see my business. I was getting, to be honest, with the revenue, not the revenue share, but the retainer side, it's getting a little bit stale with it. And this is this is enabled me to go, right, okay, who do I want to work with? Well, how do I want my life to be and my business world to be? Because I know, you know, we've both got, small children we both got lives outside of work and you know i want to experience that this morning i took my son to school i'll pick him up and take him swimming from school and while i'm there there'll probably be a sale coming in from a partner site and i'll sit there i think well okay i didn't make the sale directly i'm not delivering that sale but i'm taking a slice of that while i'm sat there watching my son do a front crawl <laughs> so it's <laughs> well, yeah, and, yeah. I'm, and i'm here trying to learn how to do plats and uh <laughs> You know, and, and uh, <laughs> yeah. putting on the the frozen princess dress and uh, matching shoes, etc. Well, I think it would suit you. To be honest, yeah, it's it's crazy. Not for me, for my daughter. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I joke with her. I say, "You want to plait my hair now?" And she's like, "Huh?" <laughs> anyway, oh yeah, I could so, do the same. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing too. When other people have questions in the community, that's really nice to have that support. Of course, I'm there too. Wow. People get stuck with this. I'm there to help with the business model. I'm there to continue to develop the playbooks so that we can just make it bulletproof, like really simple to get yeah. these going and, and to perform the way they have. What sort of advice would you have for someone who's curious about this now, having heard a little bit more about revenue share deals, Tim? So, uh, I mean, you haven't told me to say this, James, but I would download the course that, that you've told them that you're going to get on this podcast, first of all, because it will it clarify loads of stuff in your mind. Because I would imagine after this podcast, you have more questions about it. So just do that first of all, and just start to uh, explore that as an option, because it will change your view on business. Because if you're if you're thinking about different businesses at the moment are doing well, for example, um, uh, you know, Bitcoin or whatever, there's popular stuff going on. You could get involved in those things if you want to. Or AI. But you don't have to do it as the expert. AI is yeah huge right now. I think it's the easiest way to have a business without having all the difficulties of it and not being legally tied up. It's, it's brilliant. Yeah. We'll put the uh, training up at episode 1012 yeah. on jamesramco.com. It is, of course, inside the membership where you also get playbooks and you also get me and uh, also Tim in there. Uh-huh. Uh, there are discussions around revenue shed is, is the things to look for with the legal documents. For mentor-level clients, I happily walk through contracts and stuff as well. So right. there's various levels of access. Thank you so much for sharing, Tim, from timtavender.com. 
<laughs> Thanks, James. I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure to be on this podcast. Uh, 1,012, was it? Yes. 1,012, wow. So, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. And, um, yeah, thank you so much for your continued support inside the membership. It's been absolutely valuable to me. And I know for all the other people that are in there that I speak to, there. Yeah. Well, I know you use it well. You figured out how to use the membership well. So there's a lesson in that. Eric. So it fascinates me. You can have some people not really be that resourceful and then other people just use it so perfectly that it, it's a bargain. So I, you know, I hope to continue to serve you and to see you get these amazing results, whether you're you know, actively working or semi-working, uh, but the money's still okay. flowing in. That's the best part of these deals. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, James. This is James Schramko.